the first time I nailed a half four shot, it was heartwarming just knowing that the guys like reacted um, like that, and I get to you know rewatch it every now and then. And everybody loves it still to this day. It's a great story. It's real, and uh, this kid is 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 special. Jack was born in New York City when I was working in New York, and we had the opportunity to move here to Toronto. You know, for Jack, once we started realizing that there were things that weren't happening maybe when they should, we weren't seeing certain developmental things being met, we started kind of searching, testing, having him evaluated, assessed by different doctors. And I'll never forget one doctor that we went to thinking, you know, is he on the spectrum somewhere? Does he have a syndrome of some kind? And a doctor looked at us and he said, would you be okay when you left here today that I just tell you he's just Jack? And we said, absolutely. We don't need to label him if there isn't one that's appropriate. What we just need to do is address the needs that he has, and, and they were multifaceted. He definitely has a learning disability. It really kind of morphs into a, an intellectual disability. Um, he's got other things that he has to overcome too. He's got, you know, processing issues. He's got sensory integration issues. He's got lots of little things that don't really add up to one name. It's something that we don't discuss much with him, if ever. It's just yeah, because we never really wanted to limit him. You know, we didn't yeah. we didn't want to place a certain limitation on him. We didn't want him to ever think he couldn't do something. So we didn't focus on him having a disability. Hey everybody, welcome to Hope. Uh, my name is Scott Raines. I'm one of the pastors here. Wherever you are, however you may be worshiping with us right now, so glad that you've carved out some time to worship God together with us. Some of you are here in the room. Some of you are listening on the podcast or watching on the Hope YouTube channel. Some of you are way back there in overflow. Uh, we're doing everything we can to make enough room for everybody that uh, God's bringing into this church. In our uh, new edition, one of our long-term plans is we'll start a 10 a.m. worship service there. So if this room is full when you come at 9.45 to the 9.30 service, you just, uh, <laughs> just walk right down to the 10 o'clock service and that'll be fantastic. And uh, I, I'll meet you over there when I'm done preaching here. It'll be great. Uh, but we won't be able to do that same thing with the worship team. So we need to really increase the number of people, volunteers we have serving on the worship team and the uh, production team so that we can do multiple services at once. And uh, as, as things are kind of filling back up again, um, maybe that's something for you to be thinking about. What, how do you want to serve in, in the life of this church? All kinds of opportunities for that. Uh, we are in the season of Lent. I'm a bit of a sucker for etymology. Where do words come from? How do they develop? Lent comes from an old English term called uh, Lincoln, which means springtime, and that term comes from an old Germanic phrase that I cannot pronounce, but it means long days, or the lengthening of the days, and that's the season we're in. Have you noticed that? Days are getting longer, two minutes more uh, daylight every day uh, is basically what we're getting. So over the course of uh, 30 days, we get an hour extra of sunlight. Next weekend, we spring forward. Do you want to know what time the sunset is next Sunday night? 
7, 11 p.m. How great is that going to be? Uh, unless you are those parents who put your kids to bed early and then it's going to still be light outside when you're putting your kids. Anyway, good luck with that. Uh, the season of Lent in the church world is those 40 days. You don't count the Sundays during the 40 days. So you just count the other days. And uh, it's from Ash Wednesday, which we just celebrated this last week, all the way to Easter Sunday. And it's a perfect opportunity for us to sort of re-examine things. Uh, what is it in our life that matters most? Uh, what are the things that we want to focus on? What do we want to shape our life around? And it's a good reminder these 40 days that what matters most are the things that last, the things that are eternal. So as we get started today, let's look to the wisdom of Psalm 89. We'll put it up on the screen. Read this out loud with me. I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. Your unfailing love will last forever. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament says three things last forever. Faith, hope, and love. So the first question I have for you this morning is, how's your faith these days? How's your faith these days? That uh, clip that we watched at the beginning of the message tells the story of Jack Devlin. He is a manager on the men's basketball team, the University of Iowa. He's a senior this year, and this past Monday was the last home game uh, in Iowa City, so it was a senior night, and we will get to last Monday. We'll get to senior night a little bit later in the service. What, I, uh, what stuck out to me, a couple of things in that clip that we just watched, and I want to dig into it a little bit. You, you heard his parents talking about how pretty early on in Jack's life, they, they noticed there were some things that weren't quite adding up, and they wanted to go see specialists and uh, doctors and, and figure out what's going on. But Jack didn't fit neatly into any category, any one um, diagnosis. And so at one point, his mom, Erin, says, well, we don't need to label him. We just need to address the needs he has. We don't need to label him. There's something about that that resonates with my spirit. Our world seems to be pretty big into labels, and I'm not sure it's doing us a whole lot of good. We, we meet someone for the first time, and immediately after a 30-second hello, we, we put a label on them. We put them in this box, this category. Well, that's who that person is, or people we go to a school with day after day, or uh, work next to day after day, or the people in our uh, neighborhood. We have these labels, these boxes for uh, who people are. And when we apply these kinds of labels, and, and please, I think this is a temptation, all of us. I fall into it, I think all of us. We fall into this temptation just putting labels on people, and that's who they are. And it causes us to miss out on some things. Jack's mom, Aaron, said, we didn't want to label him because we didn't want to limit him. Didn't want to label him because we don't want to limit him. One of the things that happens when we label people, it limits our capacity to love. When we label people, it limits our capacity to love. Let's go back to Psalm 89. Do you know who wrote Psalm 89? Do you ever pay attention to who writes the Psalms? Most of the time we just think it's King David, but there are other people who write the Psalms. This is Ethan the Ezraite. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't get enough attention. We want to bring attention to Ethan the Ezraite. He's talking about your unfailing love will last forever. It's eternal. What do we mean when we talk about eternity in a scriptural context? We talk about eternity, I think a lot of times eternity is too small. The way we think, we say, well, there's no beginning and there's no end. That's what eternity is. And yes, that's true. That's a part of eternity, but eternity is bigger than that. One of the ideas around eternity that you see in terms of uh, how it's talked about in scripture 
Eternity means boundaryless, no boundaries. So yes, there's no beginning and there's no end to a love that is uh, eternal, a love that lasts forever. There's also no top, no bottom to a love that lasts forever. And again, in, in the New Testament, we talk about God's love and we're told nobody can fully grasp, nobody can fully understand how high and wide and deep and long God's unfailing love that lasts forever really is. And part of what that means is God's love has no limits. There's no limit to God's capacity to love. There's no limit to God's capacity to love. Every one of us in, in this room, everybody hearing my voice right now, we all have multifaceted needs. But maybe the thing we need more than anything else is to be aware of this unfailing love that the God of the universe has for us and to live our lives more and more all the time out of that kind of a foundation. There is a God and this God loves me. The Hebrew scriptures begin with the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. You heard it in our Bible reading for today. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, next slide. Uh, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. That's a holy moment. And there's also a, a holy moment later on in Genesis 2 when God creates Eve, and God places Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, which is a holy place. It's holy because in the garden, everything's perfect. Sometimes we refer to it as paradise. Everything is happening the way God intends it to happen. Everything's uh, going the way God created it to go. It's holy. And the Hebrew word that gets translated holy is the Hebrew word kadosh. Everybody say kadosh. Kadosh carries with it an idea of um, a separation. There's something separate. There's something distinct about something that is holy. Something that's holy is special, but not in the way we typically think of it. A lot of times we, when we're in a church setting and we see the word holy, we kind of jump to the phrase holier than thou, that holiness or kadosh is a way of labeling people. You got a certain kind of people over here, you got a different kind of people over here. That's missing the point when it comes to the scriptural, biblical understanding of holiness. Again, the idea that this image on the screen, I think, helps us. What's the idea that Kadosh is trying to point us to? Uh, one of the Ten Commandments is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And so the idea is you got the first six days of the week, and they're great. God created them. And then at some point, you cross a line from day six to day seven. And that's what this image is, right? At some point, you cross a line, and you're in a new kind of place. A, a, a new state of being, a new reality. Holiness is pointing us to that idea. Let's keep it in the context of how, uh, what the Sabbath day is all about. Faithful Jewish people, uh, when they celebrate the Sabbath, they call it Shabbat. And as they get ready to celebrate the Sabbath, one of the first things they do is they pray a prayer of blessing. And the prayer of blessing is called the Kadush. It comes right from the word Kadosh. It's a holiness prayer. And they take some juice, they take some wine, they pour it into a cup, and they pray this prayer of blessing as a way of marking we're now stepping into a new kind of place, a holy place. The first six days of the week are over. Now it's the Sabbath. It's Shabbat. Uh, one of the things that they... Uh, pray during the course of the 24-hour period. It begins on uh, Friday at sunset, goes till Saturday at sunset, is a tr traditional Sabbath. 
And they pray a prayer called the Amidah. And in the Amidah, you can pray it as an individual, you can pray it as a, a community of faith, as a family. You pray the Amidah, you hearken back to the matriarchs and the patriarchs, the people who have passed the faith down generation after generation. You go to Isaiah chapter 6, the uh, call of Isaiah, and part of the Amidah is praying through this verse. Let's read this verse together out loud. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And what's going on here, God, this is part of the call of Isaiah. God calls to Isaiah, says, I want you to be a prophet. I've got a message I want you to deliver to the people. And part of the call of Isaiah, God gives Isaiah a vision. And Isaiah sees God in the temple in Jerusalem, sitting on a throne, and there are angels flying around Isaiah. And the angels, this is what the angels are saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's army. The whole earth is filled with his glory. I want us to do something. Everybody stand up. We're just going to have a little participatory part of of the message right now. Um, I want you to kind of, in your mind's eye, picture what would this look like if you were given this vision? You see God on the throne in Jerusalem with angels flying around the Lord. My guess is you're not picturing angels correctly. You know what the, every time an angel appears and interacts with a human being in the scriptures, the first thing the angel says is, do not be afraid. Fear not. Because, you know, there's nothing scarier than a chubby guy wearing a diaper or pulling a bow and arrow. No. Uh, less Cupid, more Rambo. When you think of... Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. And who are the soldiers that make up heaven's armies? Angels. And when they show up, they're fierce. And they frighten you. Don't be afraid. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. And as the uh, faithful Jewish people are praying the Amidah, every time they get to holy, 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 kadosh, 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 they go up on their tiptoes. So that's what we're going to do. Practice that. You can put your hands on the chair in front of you if you need to. Lose your balance. Okay. We're going to read through it three times. Every time we get to holy, 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 up on our tiptoes. Why? Because it's easy to get into a rut in life, isn't it? It's easy to just kind of day after day, same old, same old. And every once in a while, we need to be reminded there's a God who breaks through the ordinary, the mundane, the everyday, and we have these holy moments. And they're actually happening around us all the time, and a lot of times we miss it. So we get up on our tiptoes to see, is there something I'm not seeing? Is there something that I'm not, is something I'm missing? Three times through this, up on our tiptoes for holy, holy, holy. Ready? Here we go. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. One more time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. You can take a seat. Thanks for playing along and experimenting with me in the the middle of the message. I love this idea of Kadosh for all kinds of reasons, but one of the reasons is this. Does it ever feel to you like life is somehow, I don't know, disappointing? Not going exactly the way you want it to be going? Do you you ever make plans to do something or to get together, and at the end of the day, you're like, man, I just didn't quite live up to my expectations. 
Do you ever get ready for a five o'clock on a Saturday worship service and nobody shows up because it's a tornado warning outside? <laughs> Which is the wise thing to do, but for some of us it's disappointing. Uh, and, and in all seriousness, it's horrible, right? In prayers, uh, and we'll be figuring out ways that we can help uh, the people in southern Iowa just devastated by the storms that, that hit yesterday. In the midst of things in life that can feel really disappointing, Kadosh is a reminder there's a God who is above it all. There's a God who is in it all. A God who breaks through and a God who time and time again breathes the breath of life into our lungs and renews our spirit and restores our hope. It's the second question for you today. How's your hope these days? How's your hope these days. That gets us back to uh, Jack Devlin. As you watch this part of Jack's story, be paying attention. Be aware of the holy moments and see if you can hear the hope. Take a look. Jack always planned to attend a college or a university and have a typical university experience. He would talk about one day going off to, to college. And, and, and playing. You thought he was going to play. Well, sure. There, there were big <laughs> dreams. But, um, but we, uh, there was a time as we were trying to educate him in the system where we thought, I don't know if this is going to be possible for him. And right. then the REACH program reveals itself. The UI REACH program is a two-year certificate program for children with learning disabilities. REACH actually stands for Realizing Educational and Career Hopes. All of our students attend classes um, with a focus on functional academics. They can also take classes with traditional students. That's what UI REACH is all about, that full integration of those students, making sure they have the same college experience that you and I had when we were in college. We go there obviously during the interview process, which was nerve-wracking for Jack. And then obviously the day uh, in which he opened up the letter that he got accepted. Yes! He was in his Herky the Hawkeye onesie. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Jack and family, congratulations on Jack's selection for admission to the University of Iowa's REACH program for fall 2018. It means a lot to me knowing that I'm in this program and, and learning something new every day that I might not have known um, before. As parents, what you want is hope, right? A little bit of hope. Now, we don't know five years from now, ten years from now, but while he's there, it's just absolutely an amazing place. It's life-changing for him. God breathes the breath of life into our lungs. God restores our hope, renews our spirit. And this is something that happens on an ongoing, moment-to-moment basis in our life. If we're aware, if we're paying attention, we can see it happening all around us. It can be life-giving and life-changing for us. Part of my prayer for these 40 days this season of Lent is that we would all experience more and more holy moments all the time. Uh, Jack says, I'm learning something new each day that I might not have known before. Did you know 
Did you know one of the reasons God creates human beings is so we can share his holiness with the world around us? The book of the Bible where the word kadosh or holy shows up more than any other book of the Bible is the book of Leviticus. Uh, Interestingly, I've never had anyone say to me, oh good, Leviticus, that's my favorite book of the Bible. I wish we would preach from Leviticus more. Uh, We don't ever hear that because at first glance, Leviticus, it's just this list of rules and commandments and regulations and here's all the thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do that and we're like, can we skip this and get to the good stuff? Uh, I, I want us to dig into holiness in the book of Leviticus for just a little bit. So let's read this together, Leviticus 20, 26. It's on the screen. Read it with me. You must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all other people to be my very own. Remember the context here, uh, God has just rescued the people of Israel from over 400 years of bondage in Egypt. And so God is giving the commands to Moses, and Moses is giving the commands to the people. And the commands, the, uh, the regulations, the rules, the thou shalt nots, one of the ways to think about it, they're moving from bondage to freedom. And so here's God, as they're getting started in their new life in this new community, here's the way to freedom. Uh, biblical uh, scholars who study this stuff, the term they have for what we read a lot in Leviticus, they, they call it holiness codes. Holiness codes. And, and they're all about how do you figure out, how do you move into a life of freedom? Uh, let's pause there for a second. Because that's not the experience most of us have when we start talking about holiness codes. It doesn't feel like freedom. For a lot of us, we've been burned by holiness codes because at some point in our life, someone communicated to us by what they said or how they treated us that we were somehow unholy. What we did, what we said was unholy, and they let us know that we were not enough, we didn't measure up because we did something they considered unholy. Part of the reason I love Jesus is he's often called unholy in his day. We talked about labels earlier in in the message. They're often putting labels on Jesus. One of the favorite labels that the devout and righteous and holy people in Jesus' day would would put on label uh, on Jesus is the label friend of sinners. They just could not understand. What is this guy? He's supposed to be a holy man. What is he doing hanging out with notorious sinners? What's he doing hanging out with unholy people? Uh, uh, People who don't follow the holiness code the way we think people should be following the holiness code. So Part of what Jesus does is is he points out the flaw in the way holiness has been interpreted in the religious world of his day. It's not about labeling people. Instead, maybe think of holiness as um, always pointing us back to the Garden of Eden. Holiness always points us back to the Garden of Eden where everything was perfect, everything was the way that God intended it to be. It didn't stay that way for long. Things got broken And part of what it means to be people of faith is that our eyes are open, we see, we are aware all the time of the things in our life and the things in our world that are broken, that are not the way God intended it to be. And then, powered by God's unfailing love that lasts forever, powered by God's amazing grace, we get to be a part of God's plan for putting the world back together again, redeeming the world, uh, restoring the world, fixing what's broken, healing what's hurting. So yes, God calls the people of Israel, God sets them apart to be a holy nation, and 
from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abram the father of the nation of Israel, God says to Abraham, through you, through your wife Sarah, through your family, all families, all nations, all people on earth will be blessed. The idea is never holiness is something we keep for ourselves to somehow lift ourselves up. The idea is holiness is something we give away. Holiness is something we share to lift up the people around us. And it's a big part of what we see happening uh, in the holiness codes. Uh, Leviticus 19 is one of the places you get a holiness code. Uh, Verse 2, God gives us this reminder, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then he says this, verse 3, each of you must show great respect for your mother and father. You ever notice the Bible doesn't give us like bullet point specificity. What does that actually look like? What's it look like to show great respect to our mother and father or to honor your mother and father as it says in the great commandments? A lot of times uh, the way we think about it, because this is what parents say to our kids, uh, you show great respect and you honor me when you do what I ask you to do when I ask you to do it. Uh, You show great respect and, and you honor your parents when you understand parents never make mistakes, parents get it right all the time. And, and somehow we've, we've become convinced that it, it is disrespectful to question uh, the beliefs or uh, the actions, the behaviors, the thoughts uh, of parents. Let me give you another way of maybe thinking about this. Just, we're going to get really uncomfortable for about five minutes, so just be ready for that. Um, What if the best way for children to show great respect to their parents, to honor their parents, is for children to play the role better than their parents did? What if the best way for me to honor my parents is to parent my children better than my parents parented their children? Don't worry, my mom and dad aren't in the room. They'll be here at 11, so. Um, I mean... In our world, judgmental and hierarchical labeling kind of world, you say something like that and maybe part of what you say, woo, arrogant much, Pastor Scott? Bitter much, Pastor Scott? So let me me rephrase the way we're thinking. Let me ask you a question that I think we'll rephrase. So parents in the room, this is for you. Parents in the room, do you hope, do you hope your children are better at parenting than you are? I don't need an answer. I don't. Just think about it. Parents, do you hope your children are better at parenting than you? Of course. I mean, if somebody says, no, nah, not really. I hope they're terrible parents. I hope they have a terrible marriage. I hope they never find anything that they're passionate about and it's just drudgery for 40 years going to work. I, I mean, if that's our mindset, there's something that needs to be looked at there. What if the way we honor our parents is by playing the role better than they did? And and I know there are people who have parents but don't have children. What does that mean? Whatever role, uh, the role of friend, the role of employee, the role of neighbor, you play those roles better than your parents. That's the way to show honor and respect to your parents. Let's approach the question from a little different angle. Yesterday, the girl state basketball tournament ended. Tomorrow, the boys state basketball tournament uh, starts up. A couple weeks ago, it was the state wrestling tournament. My social media feed has been filled with people from our church, uh, you know, pictures with their sons and daughters, celebrating as they're making runs to the state tournament, and it's just awesome. 
holding the banners, taking the pictures, and uh, congratulations to the Ballard girls basketball team, the Centennial girls, the Ankeny boys basketball team, uh, the Hopester Hoopsters on their runs to the state tournament. I love when my social media feed is filled with this, pictures of parents just celebrating what their children are doing, cheering them on. But I've also noticed something else. Now, uh, this is coming from other schools, you know, the wicked and evil schools that don't go to church at, at Hope Ankeny. I've seen, I've seen some pictures of parents holding the state banner, and the kids aren't in the picture. Uh, like, like, the parents are the ones that played the game, and made the pass, or blocked the shot, or made the shot. Like, we're supposed to be celebrating the parents for what the kids are doing. I'm going to overstate things to make a point, but I don't think I'm overstating it by much. Instead of cheering on their kids, some parents are competing against their kids. What are they competing for? You know, if, as our kids experience success in life, as they're achieving, there's uh, attention, there's glory that goes along with that. I see a lot of parents competing for a piece of the attention pie. Instead of cheering on their kids, some parents are competing against their kids. I have friends who are referees, who are officials. I don't know why anyone would sign up to be a ref or an official in our current culture. It's sad. You just get berated for the whole game by parents who are competing for some high school glory? It's really interesting. And it's, I, I don't just see this in the sports. Our kids are in music world. Same thing happens there. It happen, it's so easy for us to get to a place where the focus of our life is how do I lift myself up? How do I get more attention for myself? And the easiest way to lift ourselves up is by putting others down. We're called to be holy. We're called to live in a separate, distinct kind of life. Uh, Psalm 115 verse 1 kind of points us to the starting place for this. Let's read this out loud together. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory. God breathes the breath of life into us. God gives us these holy moments. We start to understand what holiness is all about. We, we start to look for ways to share holiness, to spread holiness to the world around us, not so we can get glory and attention, but so that God can be lifted up, so that God can receive the glory. What if we actually believed this is what the holiness codes are all about? We're, we're, we're reading through this, we're seeing the rules, the laws, the regulations, but it's really all about lifting others up so God is glorified. Leviticus 19 verse 9 says, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. Do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It goes on to say the same thing when you're uh, picking the grapes off the vine. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. Start acting in a way that helps fix what's broken and heals what's hurting, helps lift people up, helps meet needs, spread your holiness around. Verse 14, do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. Uh, people on the margins of society, uh, people with special needs, absolutely. But really, this is a call for us to be aware, be intentional. What are the needs around me, and how can I step in in the direction of meeting those needs, lifting people up? Verse 16, you want to bring holiness into the world? Do not spread gossip. 
keeps on going. Verse 16, you want to bring holiness to the world. Do not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. I'm going to skip all the way down to verse 33. Do not take advantage of the foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites. Love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. Don't stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. Well, but who's my neighbor? Jesus has a lot to say about that. It's ultimately the whole world. We've got neighbors in Warren County, neighbors in uh, Madison County, neighbors in Ukraine. You know, we had to switch our Lenten mission project from El Salvador to Ukraine because the need just arose. But there's going to be a new need tomorrow. There's so many needs in this world. Pay attention. What's God stirring up in you? How's God asking you to share your holiness with with the world around you? Part of what we see as, as we read through these holiness codes, it's almost like God's giving us Here's the biblical, here's the scriptural definition of competing. I don't, don't misunderstand me. Don't hear me saying competition is bad. Competition is wrong. I am saying there's healthy competition and there's unhealthy competition. There's a line that we cross. And uh, I mean, I can't tell you exactly where the line is, but I can give you some ideas to pay attention to so you know if you're getting close to that line or if you've crossed the line. And one of the questions to ask yourself is, what's my motivation uh, is my motivation glory for myself, lifting myself up? Is my, glory, uh, is my motivation glory for others, lifting others up? Uh, the verse that I think points to what does sort of biblical uh, competition look like is Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Let's read this out loud together. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Uh, uh, one of the translations of this says, outdo one another in honoring each other. Faith, hope, and love, three things last forever. The final question for you today is, how is your love these days? Uh, I was watching Iowa play Northwestern on Monday night, just uh, I mean, a blowout of a game, a boring game, 30-point lead, but it, it was senior night, nothing really on the line. And this picture was taken. These Division I athletes. Did they just win a conference championship? Did they just win a huge game? No, this is in the middle of the second half during a television timeout. And this happened. Here's Jack Devlin right there. You you saw at the beginning of the clip, he practices these half-court shots. The practice isn't over until the team cheers for Jack as he attempts to make a half-court shot. So I'm going to let you watch the rest of Jack's story, and it's going to end with about 20 seconds from the game on Monday night. How's your love doing? See if you see any genuine affection. See if you see anybody taking delight in honoring someone else and lifting them up. Take a look. Well, the first time I met him, he's an incredibly warm young man, and Right away, you could tell that you know, Jack really understands the game. He knows the game, loves it. Initially, when he first came, is I'm here. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Jack will be involved with a lot of our practice setup. They'll help rebound a little bit. 
Good pass, Jack Dog. He's always out there looking for wet spots, people falling on the floor, so we can race out there to dry that spot up so nobody's gonna slip on that again. Oh, let's go, Jay! Let's go, Jay! Yeah, what it is! He has that great energy that the players are really feeding off of. Hey! Yeah! Yeah! Yeah, Jack Dog! Uh, high-fiving the guys along the sidelines when they're doing warm-ups. Just being around there and pumping the guys up, and I really think that the guys love to give him some of that energy back. We had a couple of guys that went to one of his flag football games. They were up and down, hooting and hollering on the sidelines. Jack loved it. Nice pass. Yes, sir. It made me happy just knowing that they actually wanted to watch me play flag football. It means a lot to me because those players are kind of like my big brothers. When you see those players reach out to Jack, you know, it gets real emotional, right? You know, you're like, wow. Take your time, Jack Dog. It really takes it to another level. All you want to do is belong and be a part of something bigger than yourself. And Jack feels that with that team. Graduating student manager Jack Devlin is all smiles right now on the Iowa sideline. Why? Because this just happened. Everything is fallen tonight. Look at the response from the team. This is unbelievable. It's the half-court shot. The team goes nuts. I mean, they love Jack Devlin on this team. What if the greatest joy in our life was cheering others on, making sure everybody has what they need, making sure everybody knows they belong, everybody knows they are loved? What if we took delight? What if we competed to outdo one another? in honoring the people around us. The writer of the book of Hebrews encourages us to run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the Father. For the joy set before him, the genuine affection, the delight of saving us, Jesus went to the cross. He sacrificed his life. And we remember that sacrifice when we come to the Lord's table.